It has been 93 days since the war in Israel began. Many of us had hoped and believed that this conflict would not be a long one. Yet after three months, there is no immediate or even foreseeable end in sight. In addition to more than 1,200 innocent victims who were massacred by Hamas terrorists 13 weeks ago, over 170 Israeli soldiers have lost their lives since this war began. This does not even count those who have been injured, those whose lives have been traumatized. During this war, Israel has systematically uncovered tunnels, many miles of tunnels. They have discovered hundreds of shafts leading into the tunnels, and Israel has destroyed those tunnels and shafts. Many have been blown up. Some were flooded by pumping water in from the Mediterranean Sea. Some tunnels were blocked up. The tunnels were found underneath hospitals and schools and mosques. The shafts leading into the tunnels were also found in daycare centers and private homes, as well as UN facilities. What was the purpose of these hundreds of miles of tunnels? Some of the tunnels extended from the Gaza Strip underneath the wall and had shafts opening up near Jewish villages. The purpose of those tunnels was to capture Israelis and drag them down the shafts in the tunnels and hold them as hostage, or perhaps even kill them. Yes, the tunnels were used to seize hostages, but the tunnel system was more than that. The IDF found bathrooms and bedrooms. It's believed that some of the chief terrorists lived in these underground bunkers. The system of underground tunnels included heavy cables for electricity, and there was a ventilation system. Today, Israeli news reported on a chemical manufacturing plant 100 feet below a Gaza population area. The chemicals were explosives and propellants for rockets. The factory was surrounded by other facilities used to manufacture long-range missiles. Tunnels connecting these facilities with several distant launching facilities were were found. To build this underground city in the U.S. or Europe would cost hundreds of millions of dollars. This is how Gaza spent the millions of dollars that the United States and Europe sent to improve the lives of the Gaza citizens. Some of the tunnels were built using concrete donated by Israel, concrete that was donated for civilian homes and hospitals. Why did the rulers of Gaza do this? Perhaps an even more fundamental question is, what is Gaza? When people in the West have been shown photos of Gaza, there was a spectrum of images from which the media could choose. The news could have shown some of the pictures of one of Gaza's malls or the water park. Perhaps they could display some of the well-to-do residential homes. Media sources, however, show you what they want you to believe. The Western news services would often show photos of poverty, people dressed in rags and children looking hopeless, homes in severe disrepair. The question now begs to be asked, why didn't the government of Gaza spend the millions of dollars on its needy citizens instead of on the tunnel system? I'm not ref- uh, it's not often that the media display pictures showing the other reality in Gaza. And I'm not referring to the rich or the poor areas in the Gaza Strip. I'm referring to the unseen side. Why did the leaders of Gaza use the money to build this tunnel system instead of building Gaza? The sad and painful and startling answer is, They did build Gaza, but in a way that we may not realize. Hamas had an underground complex. It was not just a few tunnels and a few rooms and a few military sites. It was a terror headquarters. It was another reality. It was another Gaza. Gaza has two realities. The reality that is above ground and the reality is below ground. The Gaza that Hamas wants you to see and the Gaza that Hamas wants to keep hidden. To deny the existence of either one is a delusion. 
It is denying reality. Israel is not denying either reality. It is destroying the hidden Gaza while it performs unprecedented precautions to minimize damage and casualties to the above-ground Gaza. Of course, Hamas's roots and tentacles run so deep that they're interwoven above ground. That is, it's impossible to completely avoid loss of innocent life. And Hamas is totally responsible for the loss of all these lives. There's a comparison that has been made repeatedly, and I'm going to address that today. Let us consider a historical enemy of the Jewish people. Just after the Exodus, when we left Egypt, a foreign nation, the people of Amalek, attacked us. That battle is recorded in Exodus chapter 17 and summarized by Moses at the end of his life in Deuteronomy 25. We'll first consider Moses' insight into the battle. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 25. We're going to read verses 17 through 19. Remember what Amalek did unto thee by the way when he came forth out of Egypt, how he met thee by the way and smote the hindermost of thee, even all that were feeble among behind thee, when thou was faint and weary and he feared not God. What did Amalek do to us? He came from behind and attacked the faint and the weary Israelites. He exited his tunnel, so to speak, to attack the weakest. We're never to forget that, and we're commanded to blot out his name. King Saul forgot this. He forgot the commandment. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. God sent King Saul to destroy Amalek completely. Verses 1 through 3 in 1 Samuel chapter 15 read, Samuel also said unto Saul, Yahweh sent me to anoint thee to be king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore hearken thou unto the voice of the words of Yahweh. Thus saith Yahweh of hosts, I remember that which Amalek did to Israel, how he laid wait for him in the way when he came out of Egypt. Now go and smite Amalek, utterly destroy all that they have. Spare them not, but slay both man and woman, infant and suckling, ox and sheep, and camel and ass. God said that he, God, remembered what Amalek did. He ordered us to destroy them. I hasten to add that modern Israel is trying every reasonable method to avoid hurting non-combatants. Israel is even undertaking precautions to protect civilians, precautions that put Israel at risk. Verses 4 through 6 continue. And Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telim, 200,000 footmen and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek, and he laid wait in the valley. And Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get you down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. Again, just like ancient Israel, modern Israel sent messengers messages to the non-combatants to flee from this war. Verses 7 through 9. And Saul smote the Amalekites from Havilah until thou comest to shore that is over against Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen, of the fatlings and lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them, but everything that was vile and refuse that they utterly destroyed. King Saul spared King Agag. And by showing mercy to a wicked nation, he hurt his own nation. Governments are established by God for several reasons. One of the reasons is to enact justice. In the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 4, the apostle Paul wrote, But if thou do that which is evil, be afraid. For he bears not the sword in vain. For he is the minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doth evil. Read the whole chapter in Romans. The he 
that Paul refers to in this chapter is the government. They, the government, are responsible in the eyes of God to establish law and order and stop terrorism. That's how this chapter began in 1 Samuel. I appointed you as king, therefore bring justice. Because King Saul did not establish justice. His dynasty ended with him, and the Davidic dynasty was established, the dynasty that was to bring Messiah. Saul ignored the hidden reality of Amalek and only looked at the reality above the ground. At Purim, we relive, we relive the story of the defeat of Amalek as told in the book of Esther. Haman, the descendant of Agag, the descendant of Amalek, tried to destroy us, but God saved us. Queen Esther, Hadassah, found strength to stand up against Amalek. And even, and even though the name of God is not mentioned in the book of Esther, God was in the battle. Why do I say that God was in the battle? Turn to Exodus chapter 17. Here we see the original account of Amalek's attack on us. Verses 8 through 13 record, Then came Amalek and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said unto Joshua, Choose us out men and go and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said unto him and fought with Amalek. And Moses and Aaron and Hur went to the top of the hill. And it came to pass when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands were heavy. And they took a stone and put it under him. And he sat thereon. And Aaron and Hur stayed up his hands, the one on the one side and the other on the other side. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua discomforted Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. It was not our strength that determined the outcome of this first battle with Amalek. It was God's intervention. And it was God's intervention that saved us in the battle of, with Amalek recorded in the book of Esther. Notice now the promise recorded here in verse 14 through 16. And Yahweh said unto Moses, Write this for memorial in a book. Rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Moses built an altar and called the name of it Yahweh Nisi. For he said, Because Yahweh hath sworn that Yahweh will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. In every generation, the Almighty promises us that he, the Almighty, will fight against Amalek. Today, Hamas is living out the role of Amalek, and we must fight. We must believe that God is fighting on our side. It is not only Hamas that follows the lead of Amalek. There's another enemy, even an enemy even more hidden than Hamas. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, we're warned, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. The adversary is stalking us. He, like Amalek, attacks the weak in all of us. We must be vigilant in the battle against this enemy in our own life. Just as we were to be vigilant in the war against Amalek thousands of years ago, just like we were to be vigilant in the war against Hamas, we must be vigilant in our own life against the real enemy, the adversary of our souls, who is the spirit behind Amalek. Amalek attacked the weak spots. And our enemy wants to attack your personal weakness, whatever it may be. For some people, that weakness is drugs or alcohol or pornography. For some people, it's laziness or fear or entertainment or any of a thousand possibilities. But be vigilant and fight. God is on our side. Pray for strength. Pray for Israel. Our God is fighting for us.